God. And I feel like in this house here this morning, we need to acknowledge his greatness and his goodness. Hallelujah. Why don't you lift up your voice and just declare today, God, I've come today to give you glory. I've come today to praise you and to magnify you. Hallelujah, hallelujah. No matter what I'm going through, to God be the glory. You are great and greatly to be praised. There is none beside you. There is none else. There is no one like you. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You're worthy. We stand in awe of you. Praise God. And we feel your presence and your anointing in the house of God today. Praise God. Amen. This Sunday, we're having good service here in the house of God. Next Sunday, we will begin revival for uh, probably three weeks uh, with somebody that we are so very, very proud of, and that is Brother Bryce Cosme. Amen. I want you to pray about this. Amen. I want you to pray about this. I want you to act as if you have no clue who Bryce Cosme is. You don't know who he's connected to. You don't know who he's married to. You don't know the families that he's married to. You don't even know his kids. He's just coming as an evangelist. Amen. And so you're going to open your heart and your spirit and receive what God has for each and every one of us. Amen. Praise God. Really, really feel like in the middle of the summer when it's hot and, and what have you, that there's going to be an uplifting in the house of God and we're going to have good moves of God. Amen. So we want to pray about that this next week. Uh, be in, be mindful of that. Amen. Ladies, when you pray tomorrow, pray for the coming revival. We're in revival. Revival is something that happens all the time, but special services that are designated with a speaker is what we're talking about, and we want God to move. God is moving. Amen. God's doing great, great things, and I'm appreciative of that. It's good to see everybody in the house of God. And I looked out here and thought I was seeing things. I really did. I thought I was seeing things. Sister Melissa Bradley, when did you slip in here? You're not. You're supposed to give a memo or something, an FYI. You're not supposed to just show up, girl. What in the world? All the way from Pennsylvania, Sister Bradley is in the house today. Praise God. Amen. <laughs> doing a double take is that that kind of looks like amanda but that's not amanda who is that praise god we're happy that she is with us here in the house of god today all the way from the great state of pennsylvania amen nudge your neighbor and tell them it's good to see you here in the house of god this morning we are so glad that you are here with us amen if you have your bibles let's turn to micah Chapter 5 and verse number 2, we'll just read one small passage, and that will be enough today to launch us into uh, our message. I believe that this morning, this message this morning is a timely message. There's a lot of people in our world. Did you know, literally, that we are in a cultural war? Did you know that? In the United States of America, I can remember going to school and studying the cultural revolution that happened in China. Communist China, Mao Zedong was the leader. They went through a cultural revolution. I read about it in Cambodia um, and places like that in, in Asia where if you wore glasses, you could be killed, destroyed because they were trying to right societal wrongs by a philosophy. And 
And we are seeing, seeing that philosophy. It, it always circulates. For those of you that know, uh, you go way back to Karl Marx. Karl Marx had a philosophy of dialectical materialism. And he said that different, different uh, systems go through phases and the nirvana was to be communism. And he said the proletariat, which was the lo working lower class peoples who were impoverished, uh, always had a problem with the bourgeoisie who was the well-off and so there was a class warfare and the only way that you could the only way that you could right societal's wrongs is if the proletariat even by violent means would overthrow the bourgeoisie and then take control and so that philosophy spawned a lot of mayhem in the world from Russia to Asia to China and what happens is the proletariat become the bourgeoisie and become the bourgeoisie. And so they didn't, we didn't enter into nirvana, no matter where it's been tried, it's always been an abject failure. And so there's discussions about systems and economies and democracy and socialism and communism. What's the best system and on and on and on. And uh, I'll say just from my own opinion here, I think democracy is the best system because socialism and communism has never worked anywhere it's ever been tried. But I will say this one caveat, if you take God out of the equation in a democracy, you've got a problem there as well. So ultimately, things come down to faith and pursuing the right kingdom. Ladies and gentlemen, we're not pursuing the kingdoms of this world. We're in it, but we're not of it. And we're not pursuing the kingdoms of this world. We are pursuing a greater kingdom that has a greater mission than the missions of this world. And that's what makes us different. And so I wanna talk about not, not necessarily all the political, philosophical uh, ramifications of all of that, but the biblical ramifications of what the mission of God means. And in Micah chapter five and verse number two, this is what we read, but thou Beth Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, Yet out of thee shall come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. God is reaching for, even though Bethlehem is little among the thousands of Judah, God's reaching for you. Praise God. God's intent and his mission is to reach everybody, though you may be little. God is looking for you. Savior, we thank you and praise you. We ask that you would help us today as we open your word. I pray that you would strengthen us and give us a right and proper mindset in the world that we live in. We thank you and we ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. The Genesis account provides for us a background of humanity and the ugly development of its plight Genesis 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 6, we see the degradation of humanity, and they are going to try to do things their own way and build a tower in which God cannot destroy them. This is always a common uh, temptation of humanity is to cast off any kind of um, accountability to a God, and so that is what they do, and there is an ugly development that takes place and there seems to be in the Old Testament there is a a displacement or a chasm there's a great gulf that is fixed between divinity and humanity 
even with the Old Testament law, there's laws that is, is given. God is speaking through individuals, prophets and individuals of renown. And still, even with that, Samuel uh, is so downhearted when the children of Israel want a king. And God explains to him, they haven't rejected you, Samuel. They have rejected me. So there's, there's this disconnect between what is so divine and what is so human. Even with intermediaries throughout the Old Testament and throughout uh, all of the prophets and the minor prophets, they are covenant mediators. They are enforcers of the covenant. They are there to raise up the mirror and have people look into this is the covenant that God has made with us. And even at that, people reject that. And they're not rejecting the person that is speaking. In some cases, the prophets declared, I wish I would never have been born because I'm speaking a message that nobody is listening to and nobody is interested in and I'm being persecuted because of it. There is this great chasm between God's absolute divinity. He is holy. He's righteous. He's all these things. And humanity that is so very, very far from that. I want to say here right now that I recognize that I am in need of a Savior. There is no way possible I can do it on my own. The world is trying to do it. When you take God off the table, then you're going to create a God somehow. You say, well, I'm an atheist. Well, then you're just going to fill the vacuum and the void with your own religion, making yourself God. You you are not going to be able to control the climate and you're not going to be able to control a virus and you're not going to be able to control natural catastrophes because that is in the fallen world that we live in. You can't control it as a human. It's going to be an abysmal failure. I don't care how much you want to tax it, how much money you want to throw at it, how many things you want to do to try to solve it. It won't work because you are not God. You need God but you're not God. And every attempt that you make to be God is going to fail miserably. But I'm thankful to testify to you today in the house of God that I know one that is great and greatly to be praised. Praise God. I know I'm in a fallen world, but I don't serve a fallen God. I serve a resurrected Savior that can save me, that can heal me, that can redeem me, that can pluck me out of the plight that I'm in. And elevate me to a greater level. And that's what I'm pursuing here in the house of God. You thankful that God used what you brought to him and he didn't look at what you were because what you were was not very good. Praise God. But he looked beyond what you were and he said, you can be something. I'm tired of the world telling everybody that's all you're going to be. You're just going to be a failure. You're always going to be a victim. No, you're not. Not if you let God work in your life because when God comes to redeem, he does great and marvelous things with what we bring him. We just got to bring him who we are. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody clap your hands and thank the Lord that God is. God is at work in this place, and he's working among us. While man's condition changed, God remained the same. And God has always been light, life, and love. And the fall of man 
didn't change the essence of God. He was still God. And the essence of God goes out from himself. And while men could not reach God, God continually tried to reach man. <laughs> Praise God. Man wouldn't reach out to God. Humanity, men and women, would not reach out to God. But God always, by his very nature, from the very beginning, has always reached out to humanity. And this is what we read in Micah chapter 5 and verse number 2. There's going to come forth one that is a ruler in Israel whose goings forth have been of old from everlasting. There is going to be a, a, a movement to continue to reach humanity. And this was the mission of God. His going forth went into overdrive in Bethlehem. In Jesus... We see that self-revelation of God who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, said Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. John said, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We call this the incarnation of God or we can simply say God moved into the world. He became part of the world so that we could understand that we have a savior that has been touched with every feeling of our infirmity and every temptation that has ever been known to humanity. Jesus goes through every single one of those things without knowing sin. He knew no sin but became sin for us. You don't serve a limited God that doesn't understand your plight or your situation. This is what I feel in the house of God today. God knows where you are. He knows you're hurting. He's faced the same difficulties and the struggles of loss and, and people around him failing and denying him and the hurts and everything that is associated with life. He knows all of those things, but he won't walk out on you and he won't leave you, but he came into the neighborhood to experience what you experience and what I experience. We are not serving a God that doesn't understand us. That incarnation becomes part of the world that he himself created. He, he becomes the bridge that, 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 that brings together that chasm or that gap between how holy God is and how depraved humanity is. And the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. He comes to mediate between that which is so holy and that which is so human. I'm thankful because I know that if I stand in front of a holy God, I, I'm, going to, I'm not going to measure up. I'm not even going to even come close. But because there is a mediator, there is one called Jesus Christ who is God manifested in the flesh. And he went to school among us to understand and bridge the gap to understand what our plight is and what our emotions are and what our circumstances 
choices are. Praise God. And so when judgment would come in and say, you are wrong, you have not measured, you have failed miserably, God in his essence would say, you must be judged. But God manifested in the flesh, the mediator of Jesus said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I've been there, I've done that, I've experienced that, and I'm going to stand in defense of the person that may have had some failures. You better be very, very careful about who you judge and how fast you judge people and how much of a judgment you put on people because you could be judged with the same judgment. How about we not judge other people, but we let Jesus Christ, who is the mediator, judge people. Praise God. Hallelujah. Why don't you pray for them? Why don't you uplift them? Why don't you say, I'm going to still keep living for God. I'm not going that direction, but I want them saved, and so I'm praying for them. And let Jesus be the mediator that judges what is right and what is wrong. Amen. Our natural inclination and our carnality, we want to judge everything. We want to find out the latest bit of gossip. We want to talk about who's doing what, and we want to line them out. Hallelujah. When you get that temptation to do that, you need to walk to an altar and say, God, woe is me. Woe, woe is me. I'm not the one to judge anything, but I'm thankful that there is a mediator, Brother Kenson, that will step in and say, I know he's not perfect, but I died on Calvary for him, and it's not over until it is over. I'm going to let my blood do a work and my calling do a work and my spirit do a work. And I'll work with the situation because I've come to mediate between God and man. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 19 says, To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. And this reconciliation was accomplished through the cross of Calvary, the empty tomb is because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and he sets the stage for the next mission of God. Somebody say mission. I am on a mission this morning and that is to talk about the mission of God in a world that is on their own missions. They are absolutely, there is, listen, that, I don't, I don't want to veer off here too far, but this is not something that is just spontaneous that somebody just decide we're going to collectively get together and do this. There is an agenda behind the mission of the world. People are doing what they're doing purposely, and they are purposely enacting a mission. They are putting it into action. We cannot be a church that folds itself up. We cannot be a church that silences its voice. We cannot be a church that loses sight of its mission. The mission of God is still in operation today, and we need to be a part of that mission of God, which reaches out, becomes a mediator that looks for opportunities to seek and to save that which was lost, that tries to influence the community, that lifts up their voice in kindness, but is full of conviction because they have a belief and understanding that the Holy Ghost is in operation and God is able to supply hope to individuals that are disillusioned with the lie of the devil that is nothing but an illusion. I've come today to try to put something into your spirit. You've got the truth. Buy the truth and sell it not. You've got something valuable that is a treasure. Don't let the world tarnish it, but understand and recognize it is valuable to me. 
Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 says what? But you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. You shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you. Amen. This is the call to the mission of God, and that is to participate in God's effort to reach humanity and to save them. This is why anytime, anytime somebody is praying, whether they're a guest or whether they're going through something, we rally so fast and so hard that it blows people's minds. Why? Because that is the mission of God, which is to seek and to save that which was lost. What if a T-Rocket girl sitting on the one, two, third chair lifts up her hand and starts worshiping God on a Sunday morning during a song if nobody responded in worship and nobody praised God there would be no power but what happens when people rally around that because they understand this is not just about singers singing and a band playing this is about the mission of God and God has connected through what is being sung to somebody that has lifted their hands and tears are coming down their face. What's happening? What's happening? They're lost, and Jesus is trying to save them, and we've got to get in the middle of the mission of saving them. Just as the Word is made flesh in Jesus, so the Word is to be incarnated in the community of witnesses. And we are supposed to move into our neighborhood and do the work that Jesus does. Now, this is very, very important. This is not our mission. We'll make a huge mistake if we say that. It's not our mission. This is God's mission. We are participants in what God is doing. Now, this is a reorientation of a current religious mindset. Listen very carefully to this because it's a little bit of play on words, but it's so very, very important. The church does not have a mission. Companies, for, for a long time, companies have had mission statements, and they try, to, they try to break this down into something very small that can be understood. And, and, and we've got a saying here in our local church where we say we follow, proclaim, and celebrate, and it follows the F, the P, and the C because that's what we call the process. We're trying to... But the, pr the process is not our process. <laughs> it's God's process. God's process for us in this local, this local situation and local church. But ultimately, it's God's mission, not our mission. Sometimes a good thing to do during growth and development of your own life is to sit down and figure out a five-year plan. What are you doing and what do you want to be in five years? Sit down and, and start creating a, a mission for that. It's going to give you focus in the next five years. If you don't sit down and plan something, it, it will never happen. And, and, and time will go by, and you'll look back, and you'll wish you could have done some things that you, you didn't do because you didn't spend some uh, intentional time at looking at, what, what am I doing? Create a, a five-year plan, a one-year plan. What do you want to see done in one year? What do you want to see done in five years? So this is very, very important what I'm getting ready to say because this is not something that we do. We are participants in what God is doing. 
And, and that's why, that's one of the reasons why we worship like we worship. When somebody is healed, when somebody gets a promotion, when somebody does well and excels, we celebrate around that because it's not the person, it's God doing the work through the person. And that's, that's what's so very, very cool because God is, is at work. It's not individual self-interest, it's about what God is doing. So this is important. The church does not have a mission. God's mission has a church. See, it's in the reverse. We are the church and we're here on a mission. No, God's mission has a church. And so that, that produces the right priority and the action into which we should involve ourselves. You look at some studies in church history, you will find that less than 300 years after Pentecost, Christianity lost its fervor for mission. It became institutionalized. In other words, all efforts were expended to preserve the institution called the church and not reach a world that was lost. I want to be very emphatic about this because I love this church. I've been here since 1992. I've poured my life guts into it. I love it, every part of it. But, but if we're not, if we're not, if the thrust if the fuel in the engine and the engine is not driving us to the mission of God, we're going to become an institution on its history that eventually will slowly just die out. We see this all over the United States where churches are closing their doors. Why? They're losing their young people. They're losing their children. They've got a few folks. And then at some point they just say, you know what? We'll give the church to somebody else. There was a, a situation in Willis in North Dakota, they gave the church in Williston the church for one dollar. One buck. They bought it for one dollar. This, this was not some kind of small situation. This was a very large Lutheran church right downtown. You know what happened? They died. You know why they died? Because they forgot about the mission. The mission is always reaching. The mission is always driving. The mission is always inviting. The mission is always saving. We cannot stop T-Rockets. We cannot stop Sunday school. We cannot stop youth ministry. We cannot stop greeting people. We cannot stop Bible studies. We cannot stop reaching people individually. That's the mission. We got to keep the mission flowing or we will die it will be the death knell that kills us the dagger that has plunged into us we need to make sure every guest feels welcome we need to pray with every person that is praying we need to see the holy ghost fall on every individual and we all got to be involved in that we've all got to be involved in that Every single one of us. Well, I'm, I'm elderly. I don't care how old you are. What, what, so what's the point? Well, I'm too young. So what? God used young individuals. He used elderly individuals. He uses everybody. Because the mission of God doesn't discriminate against age. The kingdom of God doesn't, doesn't have ageism in it. It's not, it's not based on race. It's not based on status. It's not based on finances. It's based on the mission of God. What's the mission of God? You shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is poured out on you so that you can be witnesses of God's mission and God's power, which is to reach people. 
guy got up one morning and he said, I'm not going to church this morning. I'm just not going. And his wife said, yes, you, 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 you are going. He said, I'm not going. I don't like those people. They don't like me. They rub me wrong. They make me mad. They say dumb things. I'm not going. She said, you are going because you're the pastor. You gotta love people. You gotta love people. There is, I was listening to Dennis Prager, who's a Jewish man, and he's talk show. He took over this, the Rush Limbaugh deal. And there's a there is a, a Jewish tradition that he was talking about that said it's a it's called the 36. I think it's 36, I may be off. The number may be wrong. But he said the 36th Jewish tradition which the tradition is there are 36 good people, righteous people in the world. And, and there can be more, but there's 36. And if the number falls below 36, society will collapse. And it's a Jewish tradition. He said it's, it's kind of interesting because there are good people in the world. And if you're not careful, you can you can get jaded. You can get very jaded with other humans and other humanity. I don't know if he's here tonight or today, Charles. He comes on Sunday, and I think he's in the men's home. I got to talking to him because he always shows up at the cafe before service on Sunday. And he is working for Flood Ministries. Flood Ministries, if you don't know what Flood Ministries is, it it's a an organization that does outreach, outreach. They, they drive around and they do outreach to the homeless community to show them that there are different um, services that can be provided to them to try to get them off the streets. And I said, well, how's that, how's that working? Because, you know, I, I feel for people that are on the streets, but I, I'm confused because I don't know who really needs it. Uh, there's like, it's like three groups of people out there. There's a people that mentally they need to be somewhere. Uh, today, on the way to church, it usually happens every time I drive by there at the corner of Chester and Roberts Lane. There was a guy that was getting gas, and there was another gentleman that was over by the bus stop, and it looked like, to me, the guy that was getting gas walked over and gave the gentleman by the bus stop uh, a coin, several coins. He was holding it up like this as he was walking to him. And so when he gave him the coins, that guy went off. <laughs> he went, I guess it wasn't enough money. And so he threw it on the ground. He was yelling, screaming. He was not in his right mind. So there's, there's a group out there that they're, they're, they're not in their right mind. They're talking and they need to be somewhere where they can be cared for in some kind of, of mental capacity. So you have that group. Then you have the group that they don't, they just don't want any boundaries at all. None. They don't want any structure. If you were to take that person, put him in any kind of structure, they, they would rebel against it. So they, they don't, they, they want to do what they're doing. And a lot of that is associated, connected to drug abuse and drug use. And so I feel for those people as well. And then there's your third group that really needs help. But 
trying to figure out who's who becomes much of a challenge. So flood ministries, they receive state monies and, and uh, government monies to go out and actually try to decipher who actually needs help and what can be done. And so he was telling me all this, and I was, I was asking him, well, how's that working for you? And he said, well, you know, I graduated from school as a, in sociology. I was going to save the world. And uh, I just, I, I, he looked kind of crestfallen. I said, what? He said, I'm a little more jaded now on humanity, humanity because the reality is it's just hard to really kind of pilfer through who really needs help. I said, really? He said, yes. He said, there are even people out there that pose as homeless people to receive the benefits that are for the homeless. They're posing. They don't need it, but they're posing to receive the benefits that takes away from the very people that need the help. And so he said, I just, uh, this is why it's good to come to church because this is where I refill and I go back out and I try to be what God wants me to be. Now, this is a guy that comes, uh, he comes Sunday nights. I don't know. Brother Jim here, uh, he comes only on Sunday nights. And he comes and he gets a drink and he's here in service and then he's working the rest of the time. Uh, but his comment really struck me because this is what we should all be doing, right? The reason I'm coming to church is because I need, what, what were you singing here? Uh, rain on me, refresh, refill. I need a refilling and a refreshing so that when I go back out into the world, I can see the best in humanity. I want to say this right here. This is not even my notes, but this is free. Always look for the best in people. Especially if you're a leader. If you are a leader, you always look for the best in people. Because it's very easy to always find any flaw in anybody. You always look for the best. I know we've been taken advantage of so many times. Uh, we, we, we've tried to get people vehicles and cars. Uh, we, we've put them in homes and apartments. We've given them months rent. We, we've, done, we've done a lot of stuff. And, and, and some of it's probably just me trying to help. And my wife's a good balance because she's, she's always there to say, I don't think this is a good idea. Yeah, but we, we, we got to try. And then it blows up. It doesn't work. They don't end up. But you know what? I came to the conclusion that this is probably the best approach. What I'm doing for you has nothing to do with, with, with you coming to this institution as the church. It's just because... I want to help in whatever way, and I want to be involved in the mission of God. And so what I'm giving you has no strings attached. You take it, do what you will with it, even if you don't even come to church. That's not what matters. What matters is I want to be a voice in a world that says I'm looking, I'm looking at the best that is in you. I'm hoping and praying for the best that is in you. And that seems to be the best approach. Because sometimes it's not going to come back and you're going to be disappointed. And for every, sing and for every single time that it's disappointing, we we've got tribes and then we've got something called a radar list. And there's people on the radar list because they're radar. They're coming in, they're coming out. What are, 
What are they doing? And there's names that go on and off of that on a monthly basis. Well, leave them on because they saw them in church. Well, maybe take them off because they haven't been. Well, put them back on. Well, they showed up. Wow, put them back on. Where are they going? What, what, what are they doing? What we're trying to do is look for the best in people because for every disappointment, there's always a success that God produces. And when you feel like you're at the bottom and you feel like everything thing that you're doing is falling through the cracks. There is somebody that hasn't fallen through the cracks and they've picked up the mission of God and now they are saying we're going to reach out and do what we can because there's somebody like me that is out there. I'll never forget when Sumo and Kamasa started coming to church. <clears throat> I didn't know a whole lot about African culture. I didn't know a lot about Liberian culture. So Sister Rena said they, they, don't have, they don't have much anything over there, and so let's see if we can get them some. We, we found a, I don't know what it was, a bed or something like that, and we, we went to give it to it, and Sumo looked sideways, and uh, I could tell he, he didn't really want to just accept it, and I, I couldn't figure out why, because I did this. We want to help. And he looked at me sideways. He said, well, the reason why I'm, uh, you know, I'm a little uh, hesitant is because in our culture and from our country where we come from, if somebody gives you something, there's always a cost or there's always a return that you have to give. And so it becomes a leverage thing. So I don't want you to give me anything if you expect something back. Well, that's not the reason why we were doing that. And that's not the purpose why we were doing that. And for all of those situations where it falls apart, there's a, there's a Sumo and a Kormasa and an Olivia and an Omar and an Odella and Obadiah and praise God. That's, that's the mission of God. You ought to be saying, how can I be involved in the mission of God? I'm not looking for accolades, nobody to pat me on the back, but I want to be involved. You know what? Every time I come to church and I see them, it fills me up. Sister Serena, fills me up. Why? Because that's the mission of God. And I had a little small, little small insignificant part in seeing God do great things. You need to look for opportunities. How can I be involved in the mission? How can I reach out and just be, be something to somebody that they've never had in their life before? A few years after Pentecost, the church turned inward. And it became about the local parish or the local body. And the focus was on the needs of the community of believers. It became very, very inward looking on, on what could be done about this local area. This became the spawning ground of the Crusades because it wasn't about spreading the gospel. It was about conquering lands for the Christian state. And so if the ruler was Protestant, then so was the province. And if the ruler was Catholic, then so was the province. It was no longer about mission, but it was about preservation and self-interest. And this, is even, this, this even reveals itself in, in a lot of the confessions. The Augsburg Confession of 1530 declares, listen, the church is the congregation of the saints in which the gospel is purely taught and the sacraments are rightly administered. The congregation of the saints. 
The Anglican, 39 articles, affirm the visible church of Christ is a congregation of faithful men in which the pure word of God is preached and the sacraments are duly ministered. So it's a congregation and the sacraments are administered. The Heidelberg Catechism of 1563 says that out of the whole human race from the beginning to the end of the world, the Son of God by his spirit and word gathers, defends, and preserves for himself unto everlasting life and elect community in the unity of true faith. So, so now it becomes the elect. This is an elect community. I am so proud to be part of Greater Bakersfield's First Pentecostal Church, which was started in 1943. Brother Terry started this thing, and it has become a great, great church. But if we institutionalize it, we've done ourselves a huge disservice. Because it is not, I mean, and I'm, I'm, I'm part of the proponent to say, look, this is our history. Look on this back wall. This is our history. Look, at these, these are found. We've integrated that into Cafe 43. But if we institutionalize and memorialize and the mission of God is still not flowing and working and we don't get this point right here, we have, we've become the elect community. We can't do that. We got to reach out to everybody. There is a place. This is why every time I see Davon, he comes and he tries his best. He's from the community. He's, he's, he's been around long enough to know, okay, I can't wear the clothes that I'm wearing. And it's not because anybody said anything. It's just because he's trying to be better. And so I see him, I see him come. He's got a turtleneck and he's got a jacket on. He's got white pants and cool looking shoes that most of us would never wear. But that's him. Oh boy, I'm gonna get myself in trouble here. Now don't judge people on what they're wearing based on what you wear. That's what you wear. That's you. Don't try to make somebody somebody different than you are. He's coming from a whole different construct and perspective. This is why I like to see Ted and rejoice. They come to the house of God looking like Nigerians. That's cool. We don't try to put them into some kind of mold. Now we want to be modest. We want to look right and dress right. But your dress is not my dress. And my kids have told me, would you please take that stupid jacket off? You've been wearing that thing for 15 years. It's a good jacket. It's nice. And I'm going to keep wearing it until it falls apart. So get over it because this is who I am. I'm not wearing your clothes. I'm not dressing the way you're dressing. That's you. That's your thing. He comes to church. He's, 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 he's trying. Davon, man, you looking sharp, bro. That is awesome. I don't know where he's getting the money to do that. Who knows? He lives in a house with his mom and about six other siblings in a small little apartment. Praise God. The mission of God. The mission of God. The mission of God is at work. There are people out there that we need to save. See, if, if, if you get through self-preservation and self-interest, you lose sight of so many things, and you become a, a knucklehead. There was a guy that worked with my grandfather, and uh, he's a big old man, and they, they worked in the moving business. They worked for Mayflower Movie. I hated going, my grandfather, would you like to go with us? It'll be a great time. We can ride the big truck. I hated that. I liked riding in the truck, but the minute that you got out and started moving stuff into a house or out of a house, I didn't like that. And the reason I didn't like that is because I could never do anything right. You know, 
you're taking, you're taking a refrigerator out. No, no, what are you doing? You're going to kill me. Oh, you're hurting my back. That's a, it's like, well, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing here. And this big guy could cuss you out without saying a cuss word. And his favorite word was clabberhead. I don't know where, <laughs> clabberhead. You clabberhead, you're hurting my back. If, 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 you lose, if you lose sight of the mission of God and trying to reach outward and you focus inward, you become a clabberhead because you start, you, you get negative, ouch. <laughs> you get negative about every, everything. You start seeing everybody's pitfalls and every flaw and, and you become somebody that stands in the way of revival instead of moving revival forward. I don't want to be a clabberhead. I need God to help me understand there's work to be done. Have you heard what sister so-and-so is doing? No, but there's a young man coming to the house of God, and he's trying his best, and we got to pluck him from the fire. We'll work on sister so-and-so. We'll pray for her. But the bigger mission is how can we reach somebody else for the mission of God? The gospel became about congregation and preservation and not the mission of God. Musicians, please come if you would. And when the mission is lost, the message is lost. Men like John Calvin and Martin Luther resisted the command of Matthew 28, 19, which said, go. And they started promoting the idea of who are we to say who is saved or lost? Only God knows. And this had a tremendous impact on the mission of God, which was to reach the world. It became a place of disinterested benevolence. If you gave a little offering, you were doing your duty. You could feel good about yourself. And as a result, it removed the need of personal commitment to the cause of Calvin. And the end result was the dark ages. It becomes a place where Christians live, work, play, but never share the gospel for which they have been empowered. Empowered. Amen. All the covenants are true from the same God. I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. You're going to be a blessing. You're going to bless them that bless thee and curse him that curse thee. And in all in thee, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. People that come into contact with you should be blessed. Huh. Should be blessed. Not because you're trying too hard or putting on a show, just because you understand the mission of God is to be what God has called you to be. The mission should be normative in the church. And our faith, the gospel, doesn't end in thought, but it moves into decision and into action. The mission of God is not for you to achieve accolades, certificate, but it is to be powerful so that the Holy Ghost allows you to go, to reach, to proclaim, and to tell. Our salvation is a 
calling. It is to take up your cross and follow. Call people to salvation. And it can never be separated from the summons to serve him. Serve him. I, this, and this is the bottom line, and we'll conclude with this. Let's stand together. The point is this. The mission of God is to participate in what God is doing. Amen. I heard one pastor say, things are going really good. And revival's happening. And I, I sit around sometimes and I start worrying. And really, why? I start worrying because what are people doing out there that I don't know? It's going to cause problems. Did you know some, some, sometimes problems, they, they're, it's, it's, it's one of the biggest frustrations in pastoral ministry is because when a, pop, a problem crops up, sometimes you know what it means. <laughs> it means services are going to be locked up. It means this is going to be, we're going to have to slog through this for how long before we get over this. And, and, and so that was his approach. I don't know what's going on out there. And, and so I, I stress and worry about it. And I, there's some validity to that. I, I understand what he's saying because, but how about saying something like, you know, the mission of God is powerful and I know he's working even when I don't see it. What's he doing? Huh? What's God doing? Not what are people doing? They're failing, making mistakes, causing problems. What's God doing behind the scenes that we don't see? But he's working, but he's working, but he's working. And he's doing things that are powerful. Sister Shelby's not here. She's teaching Sunday school class. She sent me a big old long text. She said, I went into the hospital. I had a, a migraine that had stroke-like symptoms. And by the time I got out, there was a $6,000 insurance payment. I, I, don't, I don't have $6,000. I'm, I'm, it's, it's week to week. And I'm just trying to provide. And so while I was working, I, I, put, I figured out a payment plan, but it was just, it was little, little minor stuff. So she said, I called them to let them know based on taxes and some other things that came through that, that, that worked out on her behalf that she was going to try. She said, I had the money, but now I was going to try to negotiate so that they would, you know, work the debt down so that I could I pay that off because it was worrying me. And and she got a hold of the lady. The lady couldn't respond to her. They had phone issues or problems. So the next day she called. And the lady said, yeah, I checked all of that. She said, there's zero balance. There's no balance on it. You've been completely covered. And she said, well, now, wait a minute. That's not what it was. I want you to re really make sure because this doesn't seem right because I got this, this payment. I've been paying. Making. The lady said, no, it's all done. It's completely done. She said, God. She said, you can't outgive God. She said, God is at work. Now, this is what's cool. This is faith, right? Sister Shelby is, is taking a huge leap of faith because she's leaving her job and she's coming to teach at the school. And we would love to pay what needs to be paid. We could pay minimum wage, but that's, that's less than what she was making. But she feels like it's the right thing to do. And in the midst of all of that, she gave her Renew offering for the church remodel. She said, and I really believe, Pastor, that the Renew offering that I committed to is the reason why God responded and wiped out $6,000 of debt. Praise God. She just walked in the building. 
And she said, not only is my debt paid, but I got my renew offering paid as well. God, see, that's what's cool. What's God doing? God's working. God's moving because the mission of God is reaching and saving. And, 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 and we can testify of those things that are good things. Why do we always gravitate to the negative things? Because we're human and we're carnal. But we got to get out of our carnality and get into becoming like Christ and saying we've got a great church, but the mission of God is what has a church. And the church is taking the mission of God and doing everything it can to reach our community. We cannot lose that. Amen. We cannot lose that. I want to participate in what God's doing. Amen. I want to participate. God needed to save people in Egypt, but he needed a faithful Joseph to participate. When he was ready to lead the people out of Egypt, he needed Moses to participate in his mission. God wanted to kill a giant, but took a David who was willing to participate. And on and on and on. God needed a Peter to preach. God needed a Paul to be a missionary. And God needs you. Huh? God didn't call you just to sit here on a church pew. He called you because he's got a mission for you. Turn... What, what is it? Uncle Sam needs you. I don't see Uncle Sam much anymore nowadays. But God needs you. Turn to your neighbor and look at them and say, God needs you. The mission of God needs you. Amen. As they begin to sing this morning. Praise God. in showing us what he's doing. Anybody interested in what God's doing? When I get interested in what God's doing, God starts showing us what he's doing. Amen. Praise God. God is always working. He's always working. He just needs a participant to help him in the mission of God. Praise God. 
I want to be a participant. Praise God. As they sing this again, I think it would be good not only to lift up one hand to God, I want a double portion. A double portion. Show me what you're doing, Lord. Praise God. Lord. 